by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Many of you know I used to work at an office setting before I became the pastor. I was there for 18 years. I was like a a racehorse in a stall, you know, I was anxious to, I wanted to do things for God, I got saved about two years in there, I've been there for, I was there for 18 years, but I worked in a four by four cubicle, and for a creative person like me, that was like torture, <laughs> and so I would find little things to do to, to amuse myself, it was a lot like the, the show, The Office, you see on TV, <laughs> if you've ever been in cubicle world, that's a lot like what is people just trying to do something to, to, and to entertain themselves while they're at the, at the job, you know. I remember one time, my good buddy, he sat down the row from me, and while he went to the bathroom, I got his cell phone, and I took the cap off of the wall of his cubicle and stuck it down in there. And then that day, I called him over 80 times. <laughs> and I would call and hang up. I'd let it ring once or maybe twice, and he was, where's my phone, you know? Before the day was over, he was mad, and all the people around and listened to that phone ring all day. He could not find that phone. But, you know, I had a good time. <laughs> and then, in my lightning quick mind, I come up with the idea of Freaky Shirt Friday. And so I told all the people in our group, on Fridays, wear your ugliest shirt, you know, and if you, we'll vote, and whoever has the ugliest shirt We'll give a prize, and we had some little trophy, a little man or something. We'd let them sit on their desk, and they were the recipient of Freaky Shirt Friday for this week, you know. And so I'd go down to the Goodwill or what have you, and I'd get the ugliest shirt I could find, and I'd, and I'd try to win. But I just wouldn't let it rest at that. No, that wasn't good enough. At some trade show or something I'd been to, I had this little clapper thing. It was like two plastic hands that were like this, and if you did like this, they'd go clack, 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 clack. I got that clacker, and I got to on Fridays, I would walk around the entire building through all the other departments, and everybody, it was like a little Geiger counter, clackety, 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 and if I would see an ugly shirt, I'd go, clackety, 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 <laughs> and I would say, well, you might be an ugly shirt, or freaky shirt Friday winner, you know, the problem was most of them people wasn't playing freaky shirt Friday, <laughs> so, so needless to say, it didn't take long, I got called into the manager's office, and, that's the end of Freaky Shirt Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that didn't go over long. But the bad news was my brother was the manager. <laughs> but he laughs today. I don't regret Freaky Shirt Friday so much, you know, and some of the funner things we did. But I do look back and regret the critical spirit I had much of the time, because I, because I felt trapped, and, you know, sometimes you go through hard times, and then you just begin to get ornery, <laughs> you know, and I had, I, I wore an sh ugly shirt on Friday, but I was wearing an ugly attitude Monday through Friday at work, and some of us do that at our jobs, I've become critical about my leaders, every decision they make, I hated meetings, we'd go in a meeting, and I'd sit over there with my arms crossed, you know, with that kind of an attitude, I'd have snide comments about everything they said. I would never say anything good and, and try to help the group. I was always just pointing out the negative, spewing my criticisms. 
To be honest, I should have been fired. I look back and I should have been fired. And I thank the Lord that he woke me up. What do I mean he woke me up? I mean he literally woke me up one night. Because that day, I had just stood up in my cubicle and just said something just completely uncalled for. Just said something nasty about the company. And, it, and, and, and let me explain. This is while I was a Christian. You know, most of my stories are back before I got saved. But this is while I was a Christian I was acting this way. This was before, right before I became your pastor. <laughs> a couple years before. But, <clears throat> and I didn't get to become your pastor until I got this straight anyway. But, but I said something just totally uncalled for. And even leaving driving home from work that day, the Holy Spirit just con convicted me that you shouldn't have said that. What if somebody, what if your boss heard that? And I said it out loud too for everybody to hear, you know. And that night I went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night with just dread overtaking me. But I knew it wasn't the devil. It was God. He spanked me good. He didn't spank me physically, but he spanked me. And he told me, look, these people have been good to you. These people pay your bills. They, they pay you good. They treat you good. It's a Christian company, pretty much. And here you're going to talk like that. What if you go in tomorrow and they have heard you and they're going to give you your pink slip? But then what you going to do? And I started thinking about my future without this job. And then all of a sudden things got real real to me all of a sudden. God woke me up. Thank goodness God will wake you up. Say there's a better way. Today's message is entitled Teamwork. No, no, no. That's the message, the series title. Today's message is titled Be a Team Player. Be a team player. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 18. It's in the beginning of your Bible. Exodus chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 17. Did you know Moses tried to build a team? You remember we talked about Moses last week. Moses always had his butt in the wrong place, right? Well, Exodus, Exodus chapter 18, verse 17, he's, Moses has wearing himself out trying to do it all. He went and did what God told him to do. He delivered the people by God's power with the ten plagues. They have just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. And now they are in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But already Moses is wearing thin, trying to do everything by himself. And so in verse 17, it says, This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. Thank goodness for good father-in-laws. I got one. He says, You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is just too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable and honest men who fear God and hate bribes, 
and appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. This wise father-in-law tells Moses, you need to build some teams. You're not going to get this done by yourself. And so the team mentality is established. Didn't work out too well for Moses. When, it, when I was thinking about putting this message together, I was saying, okay, I feel like, Lord, you're leading me to talk about teamwork. And so my first thing was, what, what does this Bible say about teamwork? And it came to my mind about Moses, you know, building teams. And then as I, I was going to use it as a positive example, then I began to look at it and I said, well, Moses' teams didn't work very well. So then it changed the direction of my message somewhat. Because when Moses came to deliver, when he first got there to the Israelites, he came and said, God told me to come deliver y'all out of Egypt. They started complaining right off the bat. Moses, if you say something to Pharaoh, he's going to get mad. Sure enough, he said something to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh got mad. Then he made it tougher on the people, and then the people was really complaining. But God had to do ten signs and miracles, not only to get Pharaoh to let his people go, but to get the people to realize they need to go. And so God does these ten miracles. And in Exodus chapter 15, they've just went through on dry ground, you see. They just saw the ten miracles, and they went through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they come out on the other side, but already they're complaining there's no water. In Exodus 16, they complain about being hungry. In Exodus 17, they're complaining about being thirsty again. Hey, you're in the wilderness, guys. <laughs> what do you expect? In Exodus 32, they complain that Moses has gone up on the mountain. He's been there too long. So they use that as a reason to justify worshiping a golden calf in his absence and throwing a big crazy party down at the foot of the mountain. The team ain't working good, so good so far, is it? By Numbers 11, the people are complaining about the manna. We're tired of eating this manna. They're living in the wilderness where there is no food, and God is raining down honey buns from heaven, and they're complaining. Do you notice sometimes people are just going to complain about anything? <laughs> By this time... Moses just asked God, just go kill me. Moses is fed up. But instead of killing Moses, the Lord sends a great plague and kills many of the complainers. By Numbers chapter 12, his own sister and brother Miriam, Miriam and Aaron are complaining about Moses' leadership. We know that didn't work out too well for him if you want to go read the story in Numbers 12. By Numbers 14, Moses says, hey, we're here at the, the border of the promised land. We're going to send 12 spies in. So he sends 12 spies in, 10 come back. It's a nice land and all, but them guys are big. They got walled cities. We're like little grasshoppers. Moses, why did you bring us out here just to get us killed? Let's go back to Egypt. That's the report. God says, this is what I'm going to give you, but they can't see it. They're negative. They don't have any faith, no trust that God is able, after they've seen all the, what God has done in the past, 
And then they want to kill Moses for having the audacity to try to get them to believe that they can possess what God said go and possess. They want to kill God's messenger. God sends pestilence and kills a lot of them. Then in number 16, his key leaders, the ones he's supposed to be able to trust, the more mature among the group, the ones he's sought out to, to be the leaders of thousands and tens and hundreds and fifties and tens, they're rebelling against him. And God opens up the earth and swallows them. I don't think God likes this complaining attitude too much. <laughs> They're complaining about no water again in Numbers 20. By Numbers 21, they're complaining so much God sends fiery serpents to bite them. It's not working out for Moses. It's not working out to get God's people to the promised land. And it's not working out for the people that are doing the complaining. It's like Freaky Shirt Friday gone bad, right? God needs to call them into office, I guess. Moses had told the people in Exodus 16, 8, he said, you're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And see, when we grumble and we complain about everything is not the way we want it to be, and we're, we're always murmuring and we're stiff-necked and all these things that God calls these people, we're really complaining against God. Well, I don't like the way this is. I don't think this is. We're complaining against God. We need to learn to be content and joyful in the situation. We need to be positive people and going on into something better. But yet we want to circle the desert for 40 more years until we die and never go in. You know how many of the complainers entered into the promised land? None of them. Zero of the complainers entered into what God had for their lives. I'm not saying they didn't go to heaven. I don't know. But they didn't enter in to the promises of God because of their bad attitudes. Numbers 14, 26, the Lord said to Moses, and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Oh, he hears. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. <laughs> Whoa, what, wait a minute. So all those negative things, I ain't never, we ain't never going to be nothing. We, we're going to die out here. Well, you're going to get what you say. I'm a, the Lord said, I'm going to do to you what you say. You're going to get, if you complain and, and talk negative, you're going to get negative. You will drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And guess who those two were? The two spies that came back with a good report. The two spies that said, come on, guys. 
God has promised us this. This is why we came. We can do it. We're well able. God is on our side. Come on, rally up. Let's get the team together. Come on, let's move over into the promised land. Let's take it. Let's go for it. They're the only two, and they had to wait 40 years for everybody else to die off so they could go in. It cost them just to be with a bad team. Say it. Why didn't Moses' team structure? Why, wouldn't, why didn't his team structure allow them to get over into the promised land if teams are, are what we're looking for? Well, because you can't have a real team without real team players. Just because you break up into small groups don't make you a team. You got to have people willing to to go along and to see the vision and run with it. you got to have that Caleb and Joshua spirit. We can do this. We're well able. God is with us. Moses' people were still slaves to sin. They were still slaves to their flesh. They, they had been delivered from natural slavery in Egypt, but they still had a slave mentality. They had no faith that God was able. And guess what? The works of the flesh... It will never get you into the promised land. Just in your natural strength, you're not able. Your flesh is going to complain. You need a power within you stronger than your flesh to give you the faith to obtain the promise. Moses, he's a type shadow of the law. What do I mean? See, Moses is the one that came down from the mountain with the tablets, the Ten Commandments. And so he brought the law in to, to the people. And so often when you talk about Moses, we see Moses is a type shadow of the law. God brought the law through Moses. But Moses never went into the promised land himself. He died short. He brought them to the Jordan, but he could not get them across. It was Joshua which is a type shadow of Jesus, by the way, who was able to bring them across into the promised land. And God shows us a picture through that, that the law shows us that we're sinners and shows us our flesh, shows us our weakness. Galatians says it's our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ so that we can get across. See, nobody will be saved by the works of the flesh. If you're thinking I'm a good enough person to get to heaven, you're deceiving yourself. We all go through Jesus. Jesus is the only way across. The flesh can't see past itself. But God's Spirit in us causes us to love one another and to unite. They call it team spirit for a reason. A team has to have a spirit about them. The right spirit, if it's going to be a good team, John 1.17 says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. See, law, the law just brings death and a realization that you're dead so that you'll reach out for the spirit. See, Moses' team couldn't get across because none of them had the right spirit. So when Jesus came, thousand years later or so, whenever he came, when he was born on the God came down to be one of us. Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. By then, 
He had seen what happened to Moses, and he said, I'm not building a team. I'm going to do this by myself. It's just going to be me. You should look at your neighbor right now and say, Pastor's lost his mind. <laughs> no. Despite what happened to Moses, the first thing Jesus does when he starts to build his ministry is create a team. He hasn't given up on the team mentality. He knows what about Moses' team. He's saying, we need to build a better team. But guess what? Jesus' team feels, fails miserably too. At least until after the day of Pentecost. But up until then, his team is, is just the same as Moses'. They're complaining and everything else. They're spiritually dull. Jesus tried to lead them beyond their crippling selfishness. See, the flesh is so selfish, it only thinks in terms of what I like, what I want, how I want things to be. And it can't, it'll never hook up with somebody else. It'll never hook up with God's vision because it always thinks about itself, and God is so against selfishness. Just at the Last Supper, we see Jesus doing team things, team building things, washing their feet. Guys, this is how you serve one another. This is how you love one another. He's showing them that they should forgive one another, that they should share in the cup of his blood, to share in his broken body, to see that they have a calling on their life. To see the big picture, to look out and see that the fields are white to harvest, that their people are dying and going to hell, and here I am just worried about me? He's trying to get them to see, to shed the proud stitching of their pharisaical robes of religion. This ain't about a, a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. It's about God's Spirit in you, creating a new creation in Christ Jesus that will give you the power to love one another, to assemble, to be in one heart, one mind, and do one great thing for Jesus, and to win the lost, to be of one voice, to sing with harmony. You know, they left the Last Supper, and the first thing they did was sing a, a song together, a hymn. They went and they prayed together to try to fight back the forces of darkness. But what happened? Their little human spirits were willing, but their flesh was weak. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't be the team that Jesus needed them to be when he needed them to be it. Because they, that's what they knew. All along, they have been arguing about inconsequential things like, I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told him in Matthew 18, 3, he said, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you're converted, that means born again and get a new spirit, and you become like little children and have a little faith in dad, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven, buddy. Y'all talking about who's going to be the greatest. You better get with the program. James and John, they want to call down fire from heaven on the whole city. Jesus said, who are you? 
What spirit are you working in? It ain't mine. Have you learned nothing? Jesus did everything he knew to show these guys how a team works. But in the end, guess what? They all deserted him. Why? Because they wanted to save their flesh. Flesh just wants to save flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm no longer a slave to fear. And until the day of Pentecost, until the, no, don't say that, John. We're through with the repeating. I think we went through this last week. Until the day of Pentecost, when they got filled with God's Spirit, what happened? They continued to stumble, and they continued to scatter, and they continued to cower against their greatest enemy, self. Many of us talk about the devil, you know, being the big enemy, but I, I think the bigger enemy is self. Mm, the flesh. But see, that was before. That was before. Romans 8 9, it says, you're not controlled by your sinful nature, or you shouldn't be. You're controlled by the big S spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you, you do, don't you? You need to get born again if you, if you don't. And what does that spirit produce? See, that spirit ain't going to produce the, the results that Moses' team got. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. We like those three. And I, I want somebody to love me. I want to have peace, peace, peace. I want to have some joy, but it also produces long-suffering. That means you're willing to wait for somebody else to grow up sometimes. You're willing to suffer wrong done to you and let it go and love them more than they, they've wronged you and be the bigger person that we talk about being. Gentleness. Some of us, we pride ourselves on how I'm strong. I'll tell them right to their face, you know. There's a, there may be a time for that, but most time you, a spirit of gentleness is what's required. Goodness, faith, meekness. Don't sound like team terms that you hear in the NFL. Well, we need a team full of meek guys, you know. No, they, they need a team full of meek guys. You get a, a team full of guys, all of them think they're superstars, and, and they'll be, you know, coming in 16th place or something. But you get a, meek means power under control, by the way. You get a bunch of guys that have strength, and yet they're under authority and willing to work together and do what God says. That's like meek is a term that they would put on a horse trained for battle, that the horse would do what the rider asked him to do. And we're supposed to be meek and do what God asks us to do. We can be strong, but we need to be meek. Have temperance. Against such things, there's no law. See, the law, Jesus fulfilled the law and he asked us to fulfill the law of love. And the only way we're going to do that 
is to be filled with his spirit. Jesus never gave up on the team strategy. It's alive and well today. He's always assembling teams. People bound by a common creed, committing to one another, cooperating, compromising, communicating, coordinating, and celebrating together. He knows if he can join us together, he can multiply our success exponentially. See, there's power in agreement. There's power in coming together. There's power when we're all on the same page. If you knew, I don't know if you know anything about like sports teams or whatever, but every person has their responsibility on, a, on the front line. They're not just a bunch of guys that do the same thing. They're not all just blocking the same way. Every position has things that they do. And if they just want to, if they're not paying attention, then they're not going to, they're going to, if everybody just does what they want to do, they're never going to be a good team. They have to learn to work together to coordinate, to communicate. And it takes all of them to give their best and their best supply. Jesus is building a team he's calling the church. That's the team he's building today. That's the team he's building here at the Passion. We're the Passion team. And it's more than just a team, really. I'm just using team terminology to get the team mindset in us. But it's really a family. It's deeper than just a team. It's a family that God is building. It's actually deeper than a family. What's deeper than a family? A body. A body. It's not a bunch of separate member bodies, but it's one body. We're part of one another. Jesus, man, he really takes teams serious. We're all different parts of the same body. That's pretty awesome. Ephesians 4, 16, he says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, and you have a special work to do. You have something to contribute to the body of Christ, something special. And it will help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See how that works? As we all join in the team, Jesus knows teamwork makes the dream work. Just because it failed Moses, it doesn't have to fail us. Teamwork divides the task, but it multiplies the success. In teamwork, you develop unbreakable bonds in the foxhole of life together. You know, those people that go to war, they got bullets flying over their head, and they're having to watch each other's back and stay up at night, and somebody protecting the other and stuff. And they're, they're in the thick of things together. They're in the trenches. They grow a love. This guy came from Wisconsin. This guy came from California. They don't know each other. One may be black. One may be white. It don't matter. But if they've been in the foxhole together, when they come out of there, I'm telling you, they're going to be brothers. They are going to be brothers like from another mother's. When you unite against a common foe together with a shared purpose, 
There's going to come a time you're willing to jump on a grenade for your buddy. You're willing to give your life for somebody. And that's why we, we have a common foe. We have a common purpose together. And some of us have been together in this church for 20, 30 years now. And we're willing to jump on a grenade for each other. And that's building the camaraderie and the love and the family and the body the way that Jesus wants to build it. It's an unbreakable bond unless, of course, we just want to go back to Egypt. We have to be careful because the old flesh can sneak out of the casket. Here it comes again. The old flesh will jump up on you. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You got to stay hooked up. It's a slow fade sometimes back to the casket. Next thing you know, you don't love your brothers as much as you used to. You're not operating in the spirit the way you used to. Mm. They used to tell me, take one for the team. I'm like, you take one for the team. <laughs> take one for the team is a baseball analogy. You know, you'd be up at bat, and the guy's throwing 90 miles an hour plus, you know, and you're up to bat, and the team is a close game, and the team needs you on base really bad, and they're over in the dugout, and the guy throws an inside pitch, and you just instinctively back away. They said, come on, dude, take one for the team. They want you to lean into the pitch so it hits you so you get walked down to first base. It's like it's hard to do. But sometimes you're going to have to take one for the team. Sometimes somebody's going to hurt you. It might be somebody in leadership. It might be somebody that you really trusted. We have had people hurt us here at this Passion Church. But many of us were willing to take one for the team and keep on playing to get another man on base to live another day so we can win this game. Family is messy. But family is what God is after. It's a messy business. <laughs> Takes blood, sweat, and tears. And that's not just from the team leaders. That's from everybody on the team. It has to be everybody doing his own special part to make this thing work. You can't lose sight of your why. We put it right there. In case you lost sight of your why, you're here because you love God, or you're at the wrong place. You love his people, and you love his purposes. If you lose sight of your why, if you begin to fade and you, you're all, any of those three is becoming dim to you, then you're probably drifting back towards Egypt, and you need to refocus. Refocus. Get your eyes back on the promised land. Get your eyes back on a team mentality. You heard of the Tower of Babel, right? These were a bunch of heathens that came together. They said, well, let's build a tower that reaches all the way into heaven. And it wasn't because they wanted to visit God. It was more like the devil. They wanted to exalt their throne above God's. 
But you know what God said about this group after they started building? In Genesis eleven six, 6, he says, look, the people are united. And, all they, and they all speak the same language. And they're saying the same thing. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. If some heathens can do anything they set their mind to, if they speak the same language, how much more can we? God had to intervene to keep them from going from earth to heaven. How much more can we bring down heaven to earth as God's plan is with him intervening for us? Isn't that right? Let's choose the way of the Spirit in our lives. Be team builders. How does this affect you? What does this mean for you as an individual? You you have a family, some kind of family structure in your life. You have somebody that people you live with, whatever you call your family, your daily interactions. How do you become a team builder? Or how do you just be a good team member? Be a team player. How do you get along with folks? Are you walking in the flesh all the time, pointing out everybody's problems because everything ain't exactly the way you want it? Are you asking God, what what should we do, God? How can we pull everybody together? Are you bringing people in or are you pushing people away? At your job, (laughs) I certainly wouldn't. Psalms 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. The word unity, you and I tie. Unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head and running down on the beard. Running down on Aaron's beard and down on the collar of his robe. It's as if the dew of Hermon Falling on Mount Zion. Isn't that a pretty picture? For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where? Where does he bestow his blessing in life forevermore? In unity. Isn't that what it says? When people live together in unity, it's there that he bestows his blessings and gives us life forevermore. The closer you and I can tie, the more blessing from God we can expect in life forevermore. Don't let your freaky shirt Friday become unemployed Monday. (laughs) Isn't that right? Wake up. Maybe God's waking you up right now. I don't know. But a critical and a rebellious spirit like the one I had at church, I mean at at my job, not at church hopefully, it will get you fired. And it's never going to build what God has ordained for you to build in your life. It wasn't until I got a hold of that idea and God woke me up. It It was at that moment that I began to change my attitude. And I did. Next thing you know, I was in meetings and I was 
saying good things about the boss, and the people were like, who is this guy? <laughs> Together in the Spirit, we can get her done. But we all got to do our part. You ever notice you go, this is for free, you ever, that just come to me, you ever go on a vacation or something, you go on a, or you go on a day trip with your family, and you can have five people in the car and four of them are just happy-go-lucky, ready to have a good time, and one of them's back there with a sour attitude and it just ruins the whole trip. It's like, swing, 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 swing. What the? When you come into the house of God, come in with a good attitude. Don't be the one in the car over there pouting. <laughs> Angie said it's probably the one who had to do everything to get ready and the other ones didn't have to do nothing to get in the car I think she's speaking from experience <laughs> Angie always brings balance to the room Thank you, Angie. Yeah, I am the one that probably wakes up that morning and says, oh, we're going on vacation? <laughs> Angie's been planning for three months, you know. Relationship is God's method. And relationship is God's goal. He wants us to get to a place of togetherness, and he wants us to do it together. <laughs> He's all about relationships. Having a relationship with you is his main priority. Philippians 2.1, and we'll close. Right on time. Is there any, and this is probably written from a jail cell, y'all, Really? The Apostle Paul says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. That don't mean on every single point, but agreeing that we're in this together and that we've got common goals and common purposes. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Man, think, just think how the Passion Church would look. If we all came in built up, understanding that we have a supply to give and that our special purpose here is important and that loving each other is, we come here to love one another and we know that when we come here and we need love, it's going to be here. And we know there's not strife and division everywhere we look. This church has been blessed, 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 and blessed with a strife-free environment for so long. And I am so thankful that... Boy, I couldn't, I couldn't take it if it was. I'd, I'd be like Moses to kill me, God. Huh? 
But we are a warm, fun-loving family. We've got to keep that culture alive. We've got to work for that. Now, it don't come easy. If you're not moving forward, then you're sliding back to Egypt. You're sliding back towards that casket. Look, don't do it. Don't do it for my sake. Don't do it for the person sitting next to your sake. Don't do it for your family, your children's sake. Keep moving forward. Like Gary said, keep doing what's right. Keep doing what's right. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.